Hello listeners. Welcome to Itihas, a Indic history podcast. And you're listening to episode 49 of the season Vijayanagara. This episode will be picking up from where we left in the last one. We shall unravel some puzzling questions surrounding the dramatic ascension of India's one of the most beloved rulers, Sri Krishna Devaraya. Let us not delay any more and come straight to a crucial question. Why did Salavatimma, who was the trusted minister of Veeranarsimharaya, choose to ignore the orders of his emperor to blind Krishnaraya and ended up putting him on the throne? What would have been his motivation that made him take such a risk by trying to trick the dying emperor? Did Salavatimma have any ulterior motives or were they merely driven by ideals? his dharma towards the welfare of the empire or his actions were the most pragmatic ones first let us look at the obvious clue which is his name as we saw in the previous episodes the saluvas were the second dynasty of vijayanagara and who were replaced through a coup by the tuluvas so it wouldn't be surprising for saluvatimma was hailing from the Salva dynasty or the Salva ancestry to have some resentment towards the supposed usurpers which were the Tuluvas even though Timma might not have belonged to the royal line or not did he have any claim to the royalty still his affiliation would have clearly lied with the Salva heritage he probably had belonged to the elite political and warrior class of the Salva line his experience and skills for navigating the corridors of salva power during their heyday would have obviously made him a useful instrument for the tuluvas the tuluvas who had replaced the salvas as the new rulers of the empire this is all too common even today if one notices in the modern democracies too the presidents and prime ministers might be replaced either every 4 or 5 years after the elections but the overall administrative class or the bureaucracy remains the same this class is supposedly a useful lot for any incoming or incumbent head of the state and understandably they cannot be replaced so easily that is in spite of the long term damage this seem to do to a nation or to a democracy their knowledge of administering a vast democracy or a nation is not something that can be wished away by even a modern day dictator who might have led an electoral coup so it probably was the same case with the elite salwa political and bureaucratic class to which salwa timma belonged to and excelled in it would have been entirely plausible that salwa timha would have wanted to influence the new tulwa rulers to an extent that he would be another a major power player and it might also have been that he would have found krishnaraya or krishna devaraya malleable enough to enact his own personal agenda while administering the empire in his name to be fair to salva timma it might have also been just the fact that timma considered the young krishnaraya as someone with the potential to be a great ruler but then one might ask wouldn't salva timma have been more powerful he put if he put veeranarsimha's 8 year old son on the throne as it have been easier to manipulate an 8 year old ruler instead of a 22 year old promising youth like krishnaraya 
It's a very valid question and I think Saluvadimma would have considered that option too. But he would have found that option extremely risky considering the fact that there would have been no guarantee that he would have become the regent of the 80-year-old son of Veeranarsimha. And even if he did, the powerful rivals of Saluvadimma would have done everything in their power to unseat him and directly undermine him along with the child emperor himself. And this would have also made Krishnaraya a direct enemy of Saluvatimma. In short, it was totally in the best interest of Saluvatimma to be in the good books of Krishnaraya, who sooner or later would have become the emperor with or without the help of Timma. It made all the sense for Saluvatimma to instead seize the initiative by refusing to execute the deadly orders of Veeranarsimha and put Krishnaraya on the throne instead as per rai vachakmu this very act of saving krishna devaraya's life elevates salvatimma in the eyes of the former and salvatimma becomes the most powerful right hand of krishna devaraya for most of his rule and with a larger than life influence on him the question comes down to did krishna devaraya ascend the throne due to the wisdom and cunning of salvatimma or due to the wisdom of his stepbrother Veera Narasimha only one of them can be true obviously in my personal opinion after looking at all the evidence so far and and both the accounts that is the account of uh, Durjati or you know the Fanawa Nunes and couple of other and the theories that we looked at in detail in the last episode I cast my vote in favor of Salvatimma helping Krishna Raya theory. Now listeners might ask why that theory? To solve this puzzle I think we should look at the succession patterns before and after Krishna Devaraya. That is the key here. If you remember the previous episodes on the collapse of Salva dynasty and the coup by Tuluvas, what did Salva Narasimha do when he was on his deathbed? he made his young son who was still a child his successor and entrusted him to his trusted right hand and general narsanayaka now let us look at what krishnadevaraya did the first time he was almost on his deathbed he abdicated his throne and crowned his young child and son as the new emperor while krishnadevaraya himself took over the post of the chief minister not many people today know about this fact and they end up thinking that krishna devaraya nominated his step brother achyut devaraya as his successor krishna devaraya was on the deathbed or near death twice the first time he thought he was about to die and like i said he crowned his young child as a new emperor and he himself took the post of the chief minister and due to some unfortunate circumstances krishna devaraya's son who was the emperor uh, dies mysteriously we will look at this episode you know uh, in did you know in the few episodes uh, further so now krishna devaraya is left with no other choice right so when he is on the deathbed this time the final deathbed he is forced to name his step brother achyut devaraya and his son in law 
Alia Ramaraya as the co-rulers. Though it's not exactly, it's not like two emperors, but rather Achyuta Devaraya is the officially, the official emperor and Alia Ramaraya is the administrator of the empire. The point I'm trying to make here is that for Krishna Devaraya, uh, Achyuta Devaraya, who was his stepbrother, wasn't the first choice. Instead, he was Krishna Devaraya's only choice after the supposed assassination of Krishna Devaraya's young son or who was the crowned emperor the first time. So, what is the pattern that we see here? The dying emperors or rulers almost always nominated their own spawn as their successor in spite of knowing deep down that crowning a small child was a terrible idea especially when there were other powerful candidates and factions that would either tear the empire apart or just do a coup against the sitting duck, the child emperor. The other pattern was the sitting emperors were pretty much guarded against their own stepbrothers from their own dynasty. Whether it's Veeranarsimha and Krishnaraya or Krishnaraya and Achyuta Devaraya or Devaraya II from Sangama dynasty and his stepbrother who tried assassinating him. There was always tension between that relationship and they rarely considered their stepbrothers or even their own brothers as their legitimate successors over their sons. It is a recorded fact that Krishna Devaraya had put his stepbrothers Achyuta Devaraya and Rangaraya under house arrest in the fortress of Chandragiri right after Krishna Devaraya ascended the throne. In light of these patterns, what are the odds that Veeranarsimha Raya abdicated in favor of Krishna Raya before his death in a peaceful manner? The odds are slim. And the epigraphical inscriptions that are shown as a proof of the friendly relationship between Veeranarsimharaya and Krishnaraya are nothing but uh, a proof of Narsanayaka's two power centers set up left to administer the empire before he died. So it wasn't exactly a proof of the friendly relationship between Veeranarsimha and Krishnaraya that was born out of some altruistic uh, motive. Rather, it was just a side effect of Narsanayaka's wisdom. That is a strong explanation as to why Veeranarsimha might have been forced to leave respectful references to Krishnaraya and his mother Nagaladevi in the contemporary inscriptions during his rule. If one thinks about it, it, it makes complete sense. Just like two modern Uh, powerful political heavyweights belonging to the same political party might be silently jostling for the top job and still speaking in a glowing manner about each other in the public. They could be stabbing each other in the backs behind the curtains. Similarly, Veenar Simharaya and Krishnaraya might have been playing against each other behind the curtains while, uh, you know, putting a a show in front of the public. And this is exactly why I think the Salva Thimma rescuing Krishnaraya theory, um, you know, in the last moment by fooling the dying emperor, is a much more believable and credible account of Krishnadevaraya's ascension to the lion throne of Vijayanagara. The exact date on which Krishnadevaraya ascended the throne has not been discovered conclusively so far. It has been an approximation at the best. 
His predecessor Veeranarsimha was ruling on May the 4th 1509 CE and his rule very probably continued up until July the 22nd of 1509 CE. The earliest inscription of Krishnadevaraya is dated July the 26th 1509 CE. There is thus a short interval of 4 days between the latest date of Veeranarsimharaya and the earliest date of Krishnadevaraya. The death of the former and the succession of the latter to the throne must have taken place within this interval. As Krishnadevaraya was considered a reincarnation of Lord Krishna during his times, it is not unlikely that the celebration of his coronation was put off until the Sri Krishna Jayanti, the birthday of Lord Krishna, which was around the corner. As the birthday of Lord Krishna of the year 1509 CE fell on 8th of August, it may be concluded that Though Krishnaraya succeeded his stepbrother about 25th of July 1509 CE, his coronation was actually celebrated a fortnight later. And the condition of the empire was far from satisfactory at the time of Krishnadevaraya's coronation. Although Fernau Nunez asserts in his accounts that the previous ruler, Viranarsimharaya, destroyed all the rebellious chiefs and confiscated their real estates, some of them were still at large and the authority of the central administration was not very effective. Hence, to begin with, Krishnadevaraya appears to have been involved closely in suppressing these rebellions and these rebellious chiefs for once and all and then turning his attention towards the splinters of Bhamani kingdom and the Gajapatis of Arissa. The historical classics Rai Vachakamu and Krishnaraya Vijayamu dismissed the Umattur campaign with a brief notice. Krishnadevaraya is said to have captured both Umattur and Sivasamudram within a single day. This obviously is a false propaganda. Whenever a crucial campaign is dismissed with a brief reference, then one can safely conclude that the contemporary scribes were indulging in whitewashing of the actual events that might have been a lot that might have been a lot more painful and prolonged than what they claim to have been krishnadevaraya obviously didn't suppress the powerful and rebellious chiefs of ummattur and sivasamudram in a single day and this is supported by other evidence it is stated in kungudesa rajakalan charitram the campaign lasted for one whole year and this is also corroborated by the contemporary Portuguese writings and inscriptions. The earliest event connected with this campaign must have been the recapture of the fort of Penukunda, which had been captured by the rebel chief Gangaraja of Umattur. Some time before December of 1510 CE, Raya dispatched an army against Gangaraja in Penukunda and it was captured before 1512 CE with Gangaraja fleeing to the fort of Sivasamudram. It is said that Gangaraja made the fort of Sivasamudram his headquarters, where he collected forces and ammunition in order to make it more secure. Krishnadevaraya, having laid siege to it, secured the alliance of a chief called Chikkaraya, who happened to have personal rivalry and grudges against Gangaraja. Krishnaraya pitched his camp on the slopes of the Preta and Gauri hills, 
and invested in a siege for more than one year. At last he approached the Sivasamudram fort by a secret mountain pass and stormed the fort. Gangaraja while fleeing from the approaching emperor's forces accidentally drowned in a pool of the Kaveri river. After this Krishna Raj destroyed the fort of Sivasamudram so completely that its site soon became a proper habitat for jackals and wild animals. After the total suppression of these remaining rebels Krishna Devaraya made arrangements for the administration of the newly conquered rebel territories. He is said to have made Srirangapatnam as its new capital and entrusted the administration of the provinces to three chiefs Veerappa Gowda, Kempa Gowda and Chikkaraya. And he had his trusted officer Salva Govindaraja as Srirangapatnam's first governor overseeing the three chiefs. Once again make a note here his most trusted officer Salva Govindaraja. The name Salva should ring bell. As his next step, Krishna Devaraya arranged a strong army of one lakh to set out on a campaign to reduce the South Indian chieftains who used to revolt time and again for the last half century. He placed the army under the leadership of Vijayapanayaka and dispatched it via Bellore, which had brought a number of chieftains of Chittor and Tondai Mandalam to submission. paying tributes to his imperial authority thereon the army marches over the chieftains of pandya chola and chera regions of tamil country through jinji and forced them to acknowledge the supremacy of vijayanagara kingdom and to pay their share of tributes it is only after subduing and pacifying the faction of rebellious chieftains and vassals who were challenging Krishna Devaraya's authority immediately after his ascension that the raya was able to turn his full attention to the muslim sultanates up north and the gajapatis in the northeast we have already seen in detail the epic battle of raichur episodes in which krishna devaraya humbles and humiliates the bijapuri sultan adil shah after pitched battles If you haven't yet listened to the Battle of Raichur mini series I would highly recommend checking it out The events that took place in this crucial battle had far reaching influence on the fate of Vijayanagara It is said that Krishna Devaraya after ascending the throne he spent a significant time within the Vijayanagara capital learning the affairs of the empire and looking at the testaments and notes of the past emperors Among these notes he said to have found one of Emperor Salva Narasimha's notes handwritten notes in which Salva Narasimha had desired that his successors should capture the three fortresses which at the time of his death had remained in revolt against him and which he could not in his own lifetime could conquer these forts were those of Raichur Mudgal and Udaigiri Krishna Devaraya was determined on the conquest of these forts. Whether the story of him reading Salva Narasimha's handwritten notes is true or not, there can be little doubt that Krishna Devaraya determined early on in his career as a ruler to punish on the one hand the Orissan Gajapatis 
who made incursions into the Vijayanagara territory and had systematically aligned with the Mohammedans against the Hindu state of Vijayanagara. And on the other hand, Krishnadevaraya wanted to once and forever conquer the debatable territory up north. We will look in depth at the fascinating campaigns of Krishnadevaraya against the mighty Gajapatis in the next few episodes. Before we end this episode, I wanted to address one more aspect of Krishnadevaraya's life. Just like the exact dates of his ascension to the throne, his birthday too is a bit of mystery. There is no exact record left anymore, or at least that has been found yet. According to the tradition prevalent in the Telugu or Andhra Desa provinces of the empire, he is said to have been born on Friday the 12th of dark fortnight of Pushya, corresponding to the Saka 1387, which is 1465 CE. But many expert historians on Vijayanagara disagree with the 1465 CE as the birth date of Krishnadevaraya. as that would have put him at the age of 45 years when he was crowned on the contrary according to more reliable contemporary accounts krishnadevaraya was much closer to 45 when he died he was very young according to another tradition krishnadevaraya is said to have been born in between saka 1406 to 1409 which is in between 1484 to 1487 CE This date appears nearer to the truth as it is in agreement with the statement of the Portuguese traveler Fernão Nunes who lived at Vijayanagara during the reign of Krishnadevaraya He wrote in his chronicles from personal knowledge that Krishnaraya was over 20 years at the time the unsuccessful attempt on his life was made by his stepbrother Veeranarsimha which we had talked uh, about in depth earlier so it would have been safe to infer that krishnadevaraya should have been born in or about the year 1487 ce and if so when he died in 1530 ce he should have been at a very young age of about 42 years old and with this we shall end this episode in the next episode We will look at the fascinating campaigns of Krishnadevaraya against his arch rival from Gajapati kingdom. I sincerely hope the listeners enjoyed this episode. If you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and a review wherever it is that you are listening. A huge thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. I hope to see you soon in the next episode. Till then, this is Narendra Vikram, your host and narrator, signing off. Hope you have a great week ahead.